If you're enjoying History Extra Long Reads, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thank you for your support. I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why agency designed Future Formula, a personalized anti-aging formula prescribed by a dermatology provider to treat fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, and more. Agency has clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than over-the-counter retinol. Future Formula by Agency. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y dot com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. Hello and welcome to History Extra Long Reads, where we take a deep dive into the past, bringing you the very best of BBC History magazine, with fascinating articles from leading historical experts. From cobbled alleys and snarky graffiti, to bustling communal fountains and holy shrines, Pompeii was a city teeming with life. In today's long read, written by Sophie Hay, we travel back a hundred years to an archaeological dig that transformed our understanding of daily life on the ancient city's streets. Today's feature originally appeared in the October 2023 issue of BBC History magazine and has been voiced in partnership with the Royal National Institute of Blind People. For 1800 years, the streets of Pompeii lay dormant. Ever since the catastrophic eruption of Mount Vesuvius raised the city in A.D. 79, its alleyways, corners, shop fronts and crossroads had slumbered under a layer of volcanic debris. But then, in the second decade of the 20th century, something happened that would breathe life back into Pompeii's once teeming thoroughfares. That something was the appointment of a new superintendent of archaeological works, a man called Vittorio Spinazzola. For decades, the daily life of the inhabitants of ancient Pompeii had been examined purely through the city's private houses and public buildings, its baths, its markets, its temples and bakeries. The streets connecting these places were often overlooked. 
All that changed when Spinazzola arrived in Pompeii in 1911. The archaeologist was convinced that excavating the streets could yield rich evidence of daily life in the ancient city. Spinazzola's predecessors had concentrated on excavating single properties or insular blocks in the western part of the city. Spinazzola, however, took a different approach. He chose to excavate the remaining eastern half-kilometre stretch of the Via del Abondanza, the main east-west road that traversed the city, and the facades of the buildings that opened onto it. By breaking the seal of the undisturbed volcanic deposits from the top downwards, Spinazzola revealed the upper floors and roofs of buildings that fronted onto the street, as well as further evidence of life at street level itself. In the words of his son-in-law, Salvatore Aurigemma, no more monotonous and deserted Pompeian streets, but windows, balconies, canopies and terraces, one after another, as if all life had no purpose but the street. Spinazzola was looking for a window onto Pompeii's streets and alleys, along which men, women and children, rich, poor and enslaved alike, and animals had once rubbed shoulders in places of constant flux. And that's what he'd go on to find. A glance at one's feet while walking the streets of Pompeii will soon reveal that it is not just the uneven paving slabs that can cause an ankle to turn. The deep ruts pose more of a threat of injury. During a visit in the 1860s, Mark Twain noted, I caught my foot in one of those ruts and the sadness that came over me when I saw the first poor skeleton, with ashes and lava sticking to it, was tempered by the reflection that maybe that party was the street commissioner. Back in the first century AD, maintenance of the streets and roads was the responsibility of two elected officials known as aediles. Excavations along the Via del Abondanza revealed evidence of repairs to the road having been carried out, especially at the crossroads where the wheel ruts, evidence of the relentless grind of metal-rimmed wheels on the road surface, are far shallower. In the less busy side streets, repairs could cover more extensive stretches as they posed less of a disruption to the flow of traffic. These physical manifestations of now absent carts, wagons and carriages give the modern visitor an immediate sense of busy highways, of a certain commotion of movement and clattering sounds as hooves and wheels pounded the street. There were restrictions as to when goods could be transported by wheeled vehicles into the city, but it is easy to imagine, too, that these laws would often have been flouted. Investigations into patterns of abrasion on curbs and stepping stones caused by the contact of wheel on stone have revealed that a one- and two-way traffic system was in place in the town. However, no wheeled vehicle was permitted into the city's forum. Each entrance to the public square was blocked by means of steps or stone bollards. The water required by the inhabitants of Pompeii for drinking, cooking, washing and cleaning was initially provided by public and private wells or by rainwater collected in the home before being stored in underground cisterns. But following the construction of an aqueduct in the Augustan period, 27 BC to 14 AD, Pompeii was supplied with fresh, piped water that fed, among other things, public fountains. There are about 40 of these distributed along the city's streets, many of them decorated with reliefs of gods, animals and religious symbols at their spout. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Fountains represented much more than just convenient points of water collection. They were important neighborhood meeting places where conversations were had, stories were swapped, and gossip was whispered. But they weren't the only places where the people of Pompeii congregated along the city's streets. They would often head to a local street shrine, commonly found near a fountain, and which often took the form of a small altar or niche in a wall, where they would make offerings, sing devotional songs, and engage in rituals and slow-moving processions. More than thirty of Pompeii's street shrines coincide with the intersections of roads, and as such, each served a particular vici, neighbourhood. Such shrines were the focal point of the religious festival of the Compitalia, which celebrated the gods, or lares, of the crossroads. Ceremonies in Pompeii were presided over by slaves or freemen acting as the neighbourhood officers. Frescoes associated with some of these shrines depict groups of officials tending to an altar, and ancient sources suggest that, as part of the rites of this festival, neighbourhood households would offer honey cakes. Successive layers of these frescoes further suggest that the continually changing officials repainted them regularly, often adding their own names. Yet, the texts on the facades of buildings were not limited to the names of magistrates of the Vici. Many of the facades emerging from the pumice have revealed brightly coloured, painted frontages, some with chequered designs, others with decorative frescoes and coloured sections of wall. Several were emblazoned with painted written notices, dipinti, in red or black elegant lettering. The vast majority of these dipinti, about 2,500 of them, consisted of political messages, programmata, related to civic elections. These were often painted by professional signwriters on whitewashed plaster and followed a simple formula, the name of the candidate and the political office he was seeking. Some diverged from this prescriptive form to include the name of the supporter, while personal messages were added to further sway voters. Some may even have been intentional smear campaigns, such as the notice that read, The late drinkers ask you to elect Marcus Serenius Vatia Aedile. Florus and Fructus wrote this. Although women were not entitled to vote, they were clearly involved in the campaign process. About 60 programmata feature the names of female endorsers, including those of a group of bar women. Other painted signs advertised upcoming gladiator games and entertainment in the amphitheatre. One advert promises a procession, hunt, athletics and awnings. And the presenter of the games in a number of these notices is identified as General Aleus Nigidius Maius. Gladiatorial combat was a staple of Roman entertainment in the first century AD, yet here it is conspicuous by its absence. This suggests that Aleus Nigidius Maius was in charge of presenting the games during a ban on gladiators imposed by the Emperor Nero as punishment for a riot that broke out between the Pompeians and local rivals from Nucera in AD 59. 
It is quite remarkable that the riot, an event documented by an ancient source and captured in a Pompeian fresco, is also traceable through the written word on the streets of the city. The sheer quantity of painted signs daubed on the walls and graffiti scratched into the plasterwork of buildings suggests there must have been a relatively high level of literacy among the population of Pompeii. There is, after all, little to be gained from communicating with written words if very people can read them. Graffiti represents the great unedited voice of the people. Far from the formal official language of notices and inscriptions, the doodles and snarky, though often witty, comments etched into the street frontages bring us up close to those pedestrians who once loitered long enough to leave their mark. And though there is rich evidence to suggest that the thoroughfares of Pompeii were places of continual motion, loitering was also an integral part of street life, whether that was pausing in front of shops to browse their wares, waiting in line to use the water fountain, stopping to talk or gossip with a client or friend, or sitting on the stone benches that flanked the doorways of private houses while waiting to discuss business with the wealthy occupants. Incredibly, archaeological evidence in Pompeii offers us some further direct proof of those that lingered on the streets. In a winding side street in the vicinity of a public bath complex, a bar and the entrance to what was perhaps a small brothel, a message painted in white letters reads, This is no place for idlers. Take off, loiterer. The discovery of a large number of electoral programmata, graffiti and advertisements for games just down the road suggests that those who needed the warning notice didn't necessarily travel very far. The main thoroughfares of Pompeii were lined with commercial outlets such as barbers, cobblers, bakeries, mat makers, pigment sellers, goldsmiths, fulleries, metal workshops, food retailers and, of course, bars. All would have added to the hubbub of city life, with craftsmen hawking their wares, customers browsing, drinkers spilling out from the bars, carts picking their way through the throng and local residents stepping into the fray from the depths of their houses. And all have been brought vividly to life by the programme of archaeological research that Vittorio Spinazzola set in train just over a century ago. Pompeii's streets may have been silenced in the most terrible circumstances in A.D. 79, but before Vesuvius raised the city, they were far from mute. Of all the places in Pompeii, the streets were where the city was most alive, and it is in the streets where we find the best evidence of the communal daily life of all strata of society. Today's feature was written by Sophie Hay an archaeologist whose research focuses on Pompeii. Sophie is currently writing a book on female archaeologists involved in the city's excavations, as well as working for the Archaeological Park of Pompeii. Thanks again to the Royal National Institute of Blind People for their help voicing this article, which first appeared in the October 2023 issue of BBC History magazine.